Hi, this is Erica Potter. And this is Hunter Willis. And this is Hot Girl Briefing. Hey, Erica. Hey, Hunter. What country are we going to be talking about today? Well, we're going to be talking about this tiny little country that you guys have probably never heard of. And mm -hmm. that country would be Japan. So if y'all haven't heard of it, I would encourage you to go outside. Because, um, <laughs> you know, if you if you ventured outside of your house, outside of your home, if you've seen other human beings in your life, you've probably heard of the country Japan. Yes, if you've eaten sushi or used soy sauce, <laughs> watched anime, like you should definitely know the country Japan. Yes, if you've ever heard of any of these things, ever witnessed any of these things, you've definitely been part of Japan's cultural influence across the world. Yeah, I mean, Japan obviously has a lot more than just anime and um, sushi, but I think those are the most popular Japanese influences on American culture. Mm -hmm. But for our international listeners, which shout out South Africa, uh, hey guys. Yeah, South Africa, y'all have been blowing the podcast up. So we hear you, we see you, we recognize you. Thank you so much for coming in very hot and very strong into Hot Girl Briefing. South Africa, truly a shout out to you. Yeah, absolutely. And so South Africa, you might have different Japanese influences on your culture, just like the rest of the world. Japan has a wide and far reach. And I'd be interested to hear how our listeners are influenced by their culture in their own countries if they're not from the United States. So make sure to let us know on Instagram. Yeah. But yeah. Definitely check us out on Instagram at Hot Girl Briefing. Let us know on there. We should have a pretty fun little, you know, Insta post coming out sometime soon. So let us know on that. We will let y'all know on the website when that does drop so we can show that to y'all. So Erica, do you want to, do you want to get us started? Just kind of take us through a brief you know, history of Japan, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. So Japan came to be in 1603 after decades of civil warfare, where the military led a dynastic government of the Tokugawa shogunate, shogunate, apologies if I mispronounce that, uh, came into play. It didn't open its ports to the United States until 1854 with the Treaty of Kanagawa and started to rapidly industrialize the Industrial Revolution came to Japan. I, mm -hmm. I swear that <laughs> was, was like everywhere. a life. That was like a life changing thing. I was just thinking about industrialization, how much our world has changed since that. Mm -hmm. But okay, exactly. It's just crazy. Like yeah. when you think about it. Like we'll have to do an episode on that one day of just how much the Industrial Revolution really like changed the world. But anyways, carry on. <laughs> Yeah, in the late 19th and early 20th centuries, Japan defeated Russia and China, which, impressive, kudos to you, Japan, and then went on to occupy Korea, Taiwan, and southern Sakhalin Island. Okay, so maybe not. Like, hold on, occupy? Mm. Yep. And then in 1931 to 1932, Japan occupied Manchuria, and in 1937, it launched a full-scale invasion into China, which... Y'all should know that because we've talked about the intense Japanese and Chinese tensions, especially when we are comparing the Tokyo Olympics versus the Beijing Olympics. Mm -hmm. So then in 1941, Japan attacked the United States, a little thing many, I think many Americans know, I mean, I don't know if it was in 1941, I don't know the year off the top of my head, but Pearl Harbor, that was around that time, right, Hunter? Uh, yes, yes, that was, you know, 
That was Pearl Harbor right there. Yeah. Okay. So that's what most people, <laughs> when they're like, Japan attacked the United States, Pearl Harbor. But mm-hmm. so for all the Americans, yeah, that's 1941. And then actually after World War II, though, Japan became an ally of the United States. They're like, hey, I know we just like did this to you, but like, let's be, let's be friends now. The past is the past. We're moving forward with a brighter future. So mm. <laughs> the emperor is still a thing in Japan, but elected politicians are the decision makers now. So I would say it's more of a figurehead similar to the Queen of England. Mm-hmm. And the economy faced a major slowdown in the 1990s with the Asian financial crisis. And in March 2011, there was a major earthquake followed by the accompanying tsunami where thousands were killed and then had multiple power plants damaged as well, which I can imagine a tsunami would wreak havoc on an island country like Japan. Mm-hmm. And then Shinzo Abe, Abe? Shinzo Abe. Shinzo Abe was elected in 2012 and became the longest serving post-war prime minister. Actually, I believe it's Abe. I'll, I'll, I'll correct myself. I think it's Abe. We, all pronunciations, we welcome them. <laughs> yes. Uh, so we're just going to go through a real quick breakthrough of Japan and its capabilities. It's, you know, how it kind of goes about itself in the world. We know that, you know, it's kind of the boring part of this segment. However, we do think it's super helpful for any of those of you that are utilizing this as a resource for a paper. We totally love that. Um, we love being cited, by the way. So I, that's like one of my goals is to see hot girl briefing as a citation at some point that I think I'd scream about that. Erica, I don't know about you, but that would probably be the best and like funniest thing that could happen. <laughs> I think like I would go around and be like, yeah, I was cited in this paper. It was in the American Journal of Political Science or like whatever, whatever mm-hmm. journal it was cited. And I'd be like, yeah, we were cited actually. So mm-hmm. yeah, like, not to right. my own horn, but to too. But like the hot girls at hot girl briefing, we got this on a lock. So any of our audience, if you ever want to cite us, please do. And also please send a picture to any of our social media accounts. We would love you forever. Um, but anyway, so we're just going to get into this real quick. So geography, not many natural resources at all. If you guys don't know, Japan, island country. So not a ton of minerals there, you know? No, so, just water, just H2O. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, throw in some mountains and some volcanoes, but not many natural resources. So people mostly live on the coastline in high density cities. You have a third of the population residing in or around Tokyo on the central plain. Like we said, super mountainous has volcanoes. But this is where, you know, it starts to get into a little bit of madness. So Japan, you know, relatively small country, not, not one of the biggest out there. However, it is number 11 in the world for population. There are almost 125 million people living there. There are 124,687 and 293 people living there up to 2021. I think, I think you meant 124 million. Oh, yes. 124,000 people. <laughs> yes, so sorry. 124,687,293, sorry, yeah. You know, one of the biggest in the world, 120,000 people live there. <laughs> I can just imagine how crowded the streets are. It's probably like New York City all over the place. Yeah, especially like in Tokyo. It's crazy. There's like so many people living there, super densely populated. And, you know, there's a lot of that throughout Japan just because, you know, their cities do tend to be so densely populated. So Japan, super ethnically Japanese. Uh, there's a little bit above 97% of the population being Japanese. of the religion practice is Shintoism and 66.67 are Buddhist. 
it exceeds 100 because many practice both religions. Also, all of this data we're getting from the CIA World Factbook. So once again, we recommend definitely go and check out that source. Great source. We love it here at Hot Girl Briefing. Um, but the population is super skewed to older people. The median age is 48.6 years. So we're going to talk about that a little bit later and, you know, really take a dive into that of what that means for Japan. But, you know, hand in hand with the population growth rate being at negative 0.37%, which is number 220 in the world. So not the best for Japan. You know, life expectancy is the fourth in the world at 84.65 years. And total fertility rate is 1.38 children born per woman, which makes it number 218 in the world. Japan's like weirdly extreme. Like on one hand, it's yeah. like at the top. And then on the other hand, it's at the bottom for certain measures of the population, which is like, I find very fascinating. Yeah, it's like a really interesting country overall. That is for sure. Like there's Japan, just overall, super interesting, super intricate, you know, very industrialized and modernized society. But then you also have, you know, these kind of like weird throwback numbers. So it's just kind of odd. All right. Well, that's a little bit of the geography. Let me get into the government aspect of Japan. I'm going to do a little bit of a rapid fire. So I hope you guys are paying attention, especially if you plan on citing us. Write it down, but, write it down. Yeah. <laughs> Take your notes. Pull your notes out. Up. Notes mm -hmm. out. <laughs> So there, the government is a parliamentary constitutional monarchy. We touched on that earlier. There's 47 prefectures. The latest constitution was adopted November 3rd, 1946, and was effective May 3rd, 1947. So it accepts the International Criminal Court jurisdiction and accepts a compulsory International Court of Justice jurisdiction with reservations. Citizenship by descent only where one parent must be a citizen of Japan. The executive branch has the chief of state, which is Emperor Naruhito, who succeeds his father, who abdicated on April 30th, 2019. Would love to know why he abdicated. Head of government, Fumio Kishida, since October 4th, 2021. And the elections work where the monarchy is hereditary. The leader of the majority party or majority coalition in the House of Representatives usually becomes prime minister. I like how it said like usually so I'd be curious to know mm -hmm. if there was ever a time where a prime minister wasn't like it where it, a prime minister came from a source that wasn't expected mm -hmm. yeah I think that our source was, was saying that because they weren't you know because it wasn't like legally codified that way so nothing's I'm finite that's in politics yeah exactly I mean yeah we all know <laughs> it you know we have businessmen, actors, you know, dating back to Arnold Schwarzenegger and Ronald Reagan going and taking the presidency. So, you know, in politics, there's nothing ever for certain. <laughs> Absolutely. Like Justin Bieber said, never say never. Well, yes. let's get into the judicial branch. <laughs> the highest score is the Supreme Court or the Psycho Saban, Saban Show. I apologize, guys. I don't know any Japanese whatsoever. So I'm like totally... I'm totally like blindly blind right now with the pronunciations, but that's good. I know Mandarin and, you know, Japanese always confuses me whenever I'm reading like the English like <laughs> version of the word. I'm like, I'm not a hundred percent sure how to pronounce this, but I'm going to give it my best. Yeah. I'm like, I'm trying to pronounce it. Like I would pronounce Spanish words and I'm like, that's trying to that's pronounce right. it in a different language is not, like, it doesn't work. My brain's just Duolingo. Where are you you're at? Speaking in English, you're trying to pronounce like it's Spanish, but it's actually yeah. Japanese. <laughs> The Duolingo Owl, we need you, we need you. <laughs> so the, the Supreme Court consists of Chief Justice and 14 Associate Judges, and the judges are all designated by the cabinet and appointed by the monarch. 
-hmm. And then to finish it out with the government branch, we have the diplomatic missions, which there is an embassy in DC, but Japan also has consulates in Alaska, Atlanta, Boston, Chicago, Denver, Detroit, Mm -hmm. Guam, Honolulu, Houston, Los Angeles, Miami, Nashville, New Jersey, Portland, San Francisco, Saipan, the Northern Mariana Islands, and Mm -hmm. Seattle. Mm -hmm. So we'll move into the economy, do some more rapid fires. So it's the third largest in the world at 4.97 trillion USD. We got that from the World Population Review because it was a little bit contradictory with the CIA World Factbook. However, ultimately, you know, at Hacker Briefing, we view it as the third in the world. We don't view India above just based off of, you know, nominal GDP. So public debt as of 2017, estimates are at 237.6% of GDP, which makes number one in the world for Japan. So Japan is the number one public debt holder in the world, which is kind of crazy. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of crazy like when you think about it, but, you know, I mean, I guess it makes sense. It's, you know, the number three largest economy. No, they're spending. They've got a spending mentality and I can totally get down with that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I know it sounds like a hot girl. Japan, Japan as a country is a hot girl. So <laughs> um, exports, we are at 793.32 billion estimated in 2020, which makes it number four in the world. Its partners are the US at 19%, China at 18%, 6% for South Korea and 6% for Taiwan. So all of these countries, what are they buying? Cars and vehicle parts, integrated circuits, personal appliances, and ships. So imports, they are at 799.52 billion in the world, which makes them, or in 2022, which makes them number five in the world. Their partners are 23% importing from China, importing 11% from the US, and then 6% from Australia. What are they buying? Crude petroleum, natural gas, integrated circuits, and broadcasting equipment. Japan, fun fact, second largest in the world for reserves of foreign exchange in gold which is $1.264 trillion worth as an estimate in 2017. I mean, that's like, what are they using that gold for? Is it like jewelry? Because when I'm thinking gold, I'm not necessarily exchanges. They just throw it all in the vault. (laughs) I mean, okay. They're like, you know what? I keep my money in the bank. (laughs) But so then we also have the exchange rate. It's about 104 yen per US dollar. Fun fact, I do actually have some yen. My dad went on a business trip to Japan and he brought me back some yen and I, I've held on to it for like 15 years for whenever I go to cool Japan. That's always cool to like have money from another country just kind of like, it's like a little like souvenir of like, hey, like I've been there, you know, yeah. I, have their, I have their currency. Exactly, yeah. All right, so let's get into energy. So Japan is number 30 in the world for nuclear fuels. They're number four in the world for installed generating capacity and number five in the world for refined petroleum products production, but only number 82 for crude oil petroleum. So then just going into transportation, they're number 11 in the world for railways, number 32 in the world for airports, number six in the world for roadways, number 44 in the world for waterways. However, they are number four in the world for merchant marines. So, I mean, it's not surprising considering how coastal they are. Yeah. I mean, it's just kind of like interesting because it's like, you know, I mean, I don't know. I, I just always think that that's like kind of, kind of interesting, like not like crazy, but. Well, I'd expect they'd be, they would be a little bit better for the waterways considering like, again, entirely surrounded by water. So I would think they'd be up mm-hmm. in like the top 10 at least, 
So I yeah. mean, you're right. It's kind of interesting that they're like fourth in the world for merchant marine, but only 44 for waterways. I think just like overall, it's just kind of crazy that, you know, they have like this much in terms of like they're number six in the world for roadways, like number 11 for railways. But like ultimately, Japan's only slightly smaller than California. So, I don't like, get that. Like they have that yeah. many people. How do they have good roadways? How? That's the thing. And so it's just like, it's kind of crazy that Japan, like such like a small country is still able to like pack such a punch, like on these like scales globally, you know, I don't know. Yeah. It's just, it's kind of insane for me, but moving into the last component of our little overview of Japan's capabilities is military and security, AKA my favorite part, because it's what I study. So 1% of GDP in 2019, 2020, and estimated in 2021 went to military and security. They have around 244,000 active personnel, 150, which are ground forces, 45,000 for maritime forces, 45,000 for air forces, and 4,000 for joint forces. They're also composed of 14,000 people within the Coast Guard. They have a robust defense industry. So it's a mix of domestic equipment and imports, which are mostly from the US. They only have one deployment uh, overseas, which is 175 Japanese soldiers in Djibouti. Japan's alliance with the US makes it one of the biggest components of Japan's security strategy. So the US has nearly 55,000 troops in Japan and the US has exclusive usage over the 80 bases around Japan. And because of this, Japan provides around $2 billion per year to the US to help offset those costs of stationing forces in Japan, because Japan is such like a cornerstone of US security policy in Asia. So for those of you that don't know, I'm totally down to do an episode on that. Please let us know if you want us to. I know Erica is kind of sick of me always doing, pushing the military standpoint. However, I study it. I love it. I think it's important. It's always great to talk about, but. I like, I like the spicy drama stuff. Yes, which, you know, I think that, I think that that makes us a good mix of co-hosts though, because then we're both getting, you know, kind of different, different flavors out there, I guess. Yeah, but, I'd agree. I'd, I, I would hope I would agree. <laughs> After like almost a year of podcasting together. I'd yeah, hope I'd I know like, it's yeah, been almost a year. It's, yeah, we're two months, almost two months, a little less than two or three months, no, a little bit more than two months. Yeah, little, two and a half months. It'll be a year, which is crazy to think about. But anyways, just to finish off this section real quick. So Japan has major non-NATO ally status with the U.S. And they're also a part of the quad. So if you haven't listened to our episode on U.S. alliances, definitely go and check that out. The quad, super big, super fun. It's pretty interesting to learn about when you think about grand strategy overall, and especially U.S. strategy. And then just the last little part of transnational issues. Japan doesn't have a ton, but they do have territorial claims over maritime issues um, of small islands around Japan. So those are, you know, conflicting with Russia, South Korea, China, Taiwan, you know, you name it. There's probably a little bit of a dispute over, you know, some maritime boundaries over there. Um, I, I swear maritime boundaries are always like, I think like the most tricky because it's like no one can it own is, the yeah. ocean. Yeah. And it's just like, because once you start to get into like, hey, like, I own this island and it's like, well, no, I have historical claim over this island. Well, no, they are saying that they have historical claims over this island. Then that's where it starts to get really tricky, especially because countries can utilize those for, you know, furthering their economies and, you know, pushing out their exclusive economic zones 
it's it's a whole lot. Also, go listen to the South China Sea episode. You guys can listen to that. You'll hear a lot more kind of on maritime boundaries and maritime issues. But for this episode, we are moving into our next big component of Japan. Wait, actually, Hunter, I have three oh. fun facts I would oh, love to okay. share with the listeners. <laughs> okay. Okay, guys, please, this did not come from our CIA source. This comes from my own brain, my own knowledge. Um, <laughs> we, we won't have the sourcing for these ones, but these are Erica's fun facts for all of us. Yes, yes. So um, please do not cite this in your journal. This is probably not <laughs> anything you would need to. But, so these specific three facts. Okay, number one. Before, before COVID, so I, I mean, it could be the same now as the world is starting to reopen, but before COVID, thousands upon thousands, even in the hundreds of thousands of people would flock to Japan every spring. Actually, it's around this this time of year for the cherry blossoms. And people in the United States might know, like, you know, Washington, D.C. is also very well known for the cherry blossoms. But like, I think that's kind of in a pale in comparison to Japan's cherry blossoms. Like that is like sakura season, which I love sakura season. And I'm dying to go to Japan to go see it. But yeah, before COVID, it was like crazy, the amount of tourism. And Starbucks had like their own sakura latte. I have a little package that I got from this like Tokyo treat box thing. It was expensive, but it was worth it. Anyways. Mm-hmm. So. And sorry, just a fun fact on your fun fact about the cherry blossoms. <laughs> the cherry yeah. blossoms in D.C., they originated in 1912 as a gift of friendship to the people of the United States from the people of Japan. So oh my God. Japan gave D.C. those those cherry blossoms. I want like cherry blossoms from a friend. Yeah, All yeah I know. Listening, I want a cherry blossom. And y'all can quote that because that's from the National Park Service. So <laughs> you can and you should quote yeah. that because you should absolutely throw the National Park Service in as a quote in absolutely. any essay that you possibly can because you know what? They deserve a shout out as well. They do. The cherry blossoms are absolutely beautiful. I cannot wait to see them in person, hopefully one day. But on to my second fact. Now, some of y'all may have heard about the little class war that went on in the cryptocurrency game, a little known Dogecoin, which me and Hunter both invested <laughs> a little bit into. Actually, Hunter was the one that got me to, he's like, go Doge, go Doge, Doge to a dollar. Um, I, listen, I was in Doge before it even hit a penny. So I was, I was there before. I just want that to be known to the listener. Yeah, Hunter this, was This podcast is not sponsored by anybody. However, no. Well, this isn't about the crypto itself, but it's actually about the dog that made the Dogecoin, which is started off as a meme, a meme cryptocurrency, and then Reddit and other people around the world, even Elon Musk got involved and were like, actually, let's, let's go Doge to the moon. Like they had all the rocket ships and everything. It was, it was pretty fun, especially when we were all kind of trapped in our houses. But um, so the dog on the Dogecoin is known as a Shiba Inu. It's actually rising in popularity in the United States. And I was actually looking up dog breeds because I have, I'm the cool auntie to a dog, a golden lab for anyone wondering. Mm -hmm. And I was looking it up and Japan's most popular dog is the Shiba Inu. And it's super cute. Again, if you've seen the Dogecoin, you know kind of what it looks like. It definitely doesn't look like that, like the Doge dog, but. Other fun fact fact for our listeners, my dog who is, you know, passed on the late, the late Carol was her name. She was part Shiba Inu. And I'm telling you, y'all, they're the cutest and most friendly dogs out there. You all should invest in a Shiba Inu if you're looking for a dog. However, you have to be okay with like sassy high energy because they're definitely that too. 
Yeah, they're so cute. And I just can't <laughs> believe this dog is like from Japan. And yes. you're like, let's name her Carol. Well, her name was Kari, but it ended up being Carol. <laughs> Complicated story for another for another episode yeah. of pod. <laughs> and then finally, which Hunter and I are avid fans, avid, avid fans for this show. And it's number one fun fact. And it's my favorite thing that I learned about. So one of our favorite series growing up Avatar The Last Airbender was actually based on Imperial Japan. The mm-hmm. Fire Nation, if you've watched Avatar Last Airbender, first of all, if you haven't, you need to go watch that. Like, that is one of the only, like, animated series that I will continue to watch as an adult, um, not including anime. But uh, it was a kid's show on Nickelodeon, and it showed refugees. It showed uh, the effects of colonialism, the effects of war. And, like, you know, obviously, as a kid, you don't know anything about, like, those themes, but it was... Unlike mm-hmm. any other kind of show that especially Nickelodeon or Disney was putting out at its time. And again, it was based on Imperial Japan and mm-hmm. it's really eye-opening now as like, you know, people in politics and international relations, like to kind of watch that show back and look and see, oh, wow, I can see a lot of parallels to, you know, the world and how this related to Imperial Japan. And it's pretty accurate, I would say, considering the fact that it's completely made up, <laughs> like Fire Nation, yeah. Water Nation, all that stuff. So if you haven't watched it, go watch it if you have. Just know it's based on Imperial Japan. And that is my last fun fact. Absolutely. The Hot Girl Briefing team absolutely stands Avatar The Last Airbender. If you have not seen it, that is your homework to do. Um, we're doing the rest of your homework for you on Japan by, you know, producing this episode. So if you haven't seen Avatar The Last Airbender, that is that is your go-to. Erica is literally holding up Avatar The Last Airbender merch right now. It's iconic. It's actually a chocolate bar that I got for Christmas and it's jalapeno peanut milk chocolate and it's got Zuko, uh, Prince, Prince Zuko of Fire Nation. Um, okay. If you guys know him, he, he's constantly searching for his honor. <laughs> so. Yes. Um, fun fact, we're actually going to try and count how many times we've said honor this entire podcast. Not just this podcast, the entire podcast. We'll let you guys know someday. We'll release yeah. it someday. But. <laughs> All right. Well, that's enough for the you know, fun facts that were aside from, you know, anything actually related to like geography or economy or military, anything like that. So what's, uh, what's next up for Japan? So like we said, like I said, we will be talking about Japan's population and why it's an issue. So you have this, you have this country and this economy, you know, people only stay in the workforce for so long. And on top of that, people, once they start to get older, you know, people, from an economic standpoint, they start to cost a fair bit of money, whether that's through pensions or through healthcare, you know, because you're having more health problems, you are, you know, not working. So you're not producing that income anymore for this country. So Japan's facing a bit of a problem and, you know, we're seeing its public debt rise because of it. So Japan, like we said before, it's considered to be the oldest country in the world. And during the 1980s, business was booming, you know, the population was booming, but then that all started to kind of fade with, you know, people, they didn't want to have as many kids, you know, there were a lot of different societal factors going on in Japan that just made it so, okay, cool, like, we're just not going to have as many kids as, you know, we used to, and throughout the 1990s, there was the Asian financial crisis, so then, of course, that almost makes it even more ripe of where it's like, hey, like, you know, since we're experiencing this financial crisis, you know, you're not going to have a ton of kids during that, you know, So here you are, you're having this population really age. And what does that mean? It means more costs relating, like we said, whether it's through pensions or healthcare. And with older people aging out of the workforce, that means that you're not producing as much taxes. 
So that's less revenue coming in. And then you also need to kind of reorganize your economy because you either need to start automating to fill up those jobs that these older people had, or you also need to start rearranging your economy of where you need to be providing more for healthcare. You're gonna need more you know, stay-at-home nurses. You're gonna need more people to take care of the elderly people. You're gonna need more people in construction so you can build nursing homes, things like that. You're really gonna to have to start to reorient how exactly your economy works. Yeah, and that's got to be intense considering the fact that they're number four in the world for how long they live. So not only do they have like so many older people, they also are like living longer than I would say the global average. Like they're, yeah, they're like, I'm going to stay alive. I'm going to stay right here. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, just going off of that, this source specifically quotes, so this is from the Council on Foreign Relations. They even said it specifically in there, we're just going to take this out as a full quote at this point, because one UN study found that Japan would need to raise the retirement age to 77 in order to maintain its current worker to retiree ratio. Couldn't be me. Who wants to be working at 77? Nobody wants to be working at 77. At that point, like, you should be retired. You should be experiencing, you know, your grandkids, life. So they wanted to raise the retiree age to 77 which is kind of crazy when you think about it, but it would make sense kind of like fiscally and financially for Japan to do. But, you know, obviously they have not done that yet. So good for Japan, not good for Japanese people. Yes. However, then that's when the next issue of Japan's comes in. So Erica, do you want to talk a little bit more about what the next issue is in Japan? Yeah. So Japan has some pretty extreme work weeks. Now, this is from the BBC in 2020. In 2018, workers took only 52.4% of their paid leave to which they were entitled, which, I mean, I could, I could say that's a subsect of grind culture. Like, we know Mm -hmm. grind culture, like hustle, hustle and bustle. But uh, Mm -hmm. so Japan's just not taking their paid leave, which is interesting. I'm wondering if they like just don't want to, and they just want to work themselves and grind, or if you're kind of like discouraged to take your leave because I know some, mm-hmm. even in the United States, like some jobs are like, take it, take it, take it. And then other jobs are like, I mean, you could, but like, yeah. they really need you. They like gaslight you. So it's more of the second one of where people actually are offered, you know, paid leave, but they just don't take it just because of like culturally, like, you know, it's a bad thing for you to be doing. And we all know as like younger Gen Z's, we just don't put up with it. So you're also kind of seeing the same thing with, you know, younger cultures in Japan are much more likely to be like, you know what? No, I'm absolutely taking a day off. I need a mental health day. It has to happen. I mean, it got so bad in Japan that there was literally a word invented, the, the word being karoshi, which was invented in the 1970s that means death from overwork. It was used, quote, to describe deaths caused by work-related stresses and pressures. I mean, I mean that's... Like, I feel like even the mental health days are like kind of a newer thing in the United States. And they, but like, again, we've, they've kind of shifted away from discouraging people from taking their PTO. Japan isn't even on that level yet. So they can't even get to the mental health day. Like, I feel like if you were like, I need a mental health day in Japan, they're like, "Mm, are you just being lazy and you don't want to work? Like, it's like Kim Kardashian said, some people just like, don't want to work these days. They need to just get their sleep up and work. That's Japan. which is kind of crazy, but I mean, it's like, you also have these new kind of like recommendations coming out. So Shinzo Abe, as part of his agenda, 
um, of like the desire to change Japan's work culture. Under his administration, there was the work style reform bill, which passed by the national legislature in 2018, and then it went into full effect the following April. So a direct quote from this, initiatives range from caps on excessive working hours to increase flexibility, as well as a requirement for employees to designate at least five days of work off work for staff with at least 10 days of unused leave. So, you know, we're also seeing in this article that people aren't taking vacations for national holidays. You know, that's kind of like the only thing that they would be used for is like when it was kind of like directly said, like you have, you must take this day off. And so we're also seeing, so this article came out in 2020. However, we're seeing new kind of updates to this coming through. So there, the Japanese government, it just, in 2021, it had unveiled new recommendations for companies to permit their staff um, to work, like to opt out of work and opt into working four days during the work week instead of the typical five days. So this was a big deal because it's like you also have these people coming in saying, hey, maybe I want to still do the same thing, but I want three days as weekend because I'd rather just tack on two more hours each day to my work week and get it done in four days instead of five. So then these people, you know, you're able to have that. Same. Uh, I've seen that going around in the international community. I think it was Sweden. Don't quote me on the exact country, but one country actually did implement it and it was in Europe. It was either Sweden, Norway, one of those. And they did the four week four day work week. And then it kind of got corporate America, like United States, like talking about, Oh, four day work week. Like we even talked about it at my work. Mm-hmm. So I totally am with Japan on that. Like I'd rather do 10 hour days, four days a week than five days. Yeah. It's hard on the body. I mean, exactly. It's one, it's hard on the body. It's just, and it's not even as efficient. So I don't, we don't have the sources right now for it, but I can remember seeing a few different sources in the past. So I'll try my best to look them up. If I don't include them on the sourcing for this week, please nobody, please don't blame me. I'm doing my best. I will try my best to find them. If I can't, I'm so sorry. However, I do remember seeing that studies conducted, they were saying that four-day work weeks, you know, it's much more efficient overall. Like the companies, they're they're paying less for, you know, cost overall of having somebody in for that fourth day. They don't have to turn the lights on in the factory that day. They don't have to you know, power up all the computers in the office for that day. They don't have to, you know, bring in muffins in the morning for people on that last work day. So you're cutting a lot of these costs of not having people in the office for that fifth day. And you're seeing so much more efficient results come from it because people are working much more efficiently in those four days, you know, because they're not feeling as overworked. They feel like they have more time to get out. They feel like they have more time to do things. They have a day off that they can go and get to all their appointments with, you know, so... Yeah, I, I definitely recall seeing those. I think there were scientific studies, uh, not mm-hmm. necessarily like political. Um, yeah, yeah, like they, were so they were definitely more scientific based rather than, you know, opinion. Yeah, so there were scientific based. studies. I don't know how credible they are. Considering I remember glancing at them and they looked all good. But yeah, mm-hmm. they were saying that the efficiency of workers who only take four days was much better than the five days. And it did save the money, save the company more money to do that. So mm-hmm. here's hoping. Yeah. So that kind of wraps up our second big issue for Japan. And then Erica, do you want to go into our third big issue of Japan's? Yes, absolutely. If you guys have not listened to our Russia-Ukraine episodes, you need to go listen to it right now. I cannot stress that enough. 
So yes. this also, last we severely apologize for the audio in the last one. However, it is the most up-to-date and most informative one that we have had out yet with the one and only Dr. Paul Kubitschek. So check that out for sure. Yes. And but we do apologize for the audio. <laughs> here we are again talking about the Russia-Ukraine situation and how it relates to Japan. So again, listen to the episodes. We had mm. to suffer through the audio. You you can do it. We, we believe in you. <laughs> so, so Russia breaks off World War II treaty talks with Japan after invasion sanctions. Mm-hmm. And so this comes from The Hill on March 22nd, 2022. The talks would have solved decades old territorial disputes between Japan and Russia. And so Japan has kind of claimed these islands despite Russia occupying them since 1956, which like, again, we talked about those maritime disputes. So these talks would have helped to solve that. But Japan has recently imposed sanctions on 76 individuals in Russia, seven banks and 12 other bodies. Mm -hmm. So Russia, understandably. You know, a little upset. Yeah, a little upset, understandably. And so Japan also revoked Russia's most favored nation status, which, I mean, policy-wise, I don't think it's a big implication, but I can imagine where Russia's like, wow. Economically, it is, though. And Japan was one of the only, like, it was, Japan was one of, like, the few countries to do it. So that's where Japan, like, they're really, like, they're really going in with a hard, hard fist against Russia at this point over the invasion of Ukraine. Okay, wait, can you explain then what most favored nation status is? Because I'm over here thinking it's like a superficial, like, you know, those uh, mock awards you get, like, we want most favored. Yeah, so for those of you that don't know, so most favored nation status, it is essentially an economic position in which a country enjoys the best trade terms given by its trading partner. And this is from thebalance.com. So if y'all have a really angsty, you know, opinion towards that definition, please feel free to dispute it and let us know. We will gladly go and redefine it in another episode. But to the best of my ability, I believe that that's a pretty accurate definition. So it's just kind of where like, hey, we're going to give you the best trade deal that we've been giving all of our like best friends. You're also going to do the same thing. So if I'm like, hey, I'm going to go and give my best friend all brand new iPhones and they can come on my private jet for free you know, and I'm like, hey, I don't really know you that well, but I'm still going to give you most favorite nation status. So you can come on my private jet for free too. It's kind of like that of where it's like, you'll still give the same benefits to everybody that has that same status. All right. Well, thanks for letting us know, Hunter. That's of why course, me and Hunter we work. You. Like, we are here to on hot briefing. <laughs> Even if one of the hosts doesn't know it, I'm over here thinking it's just this like, oh, like we favor Russia. And it's like, and you're like, no, it's actually economically a huge thing. Nope, it's a but, it's a very big thing. It's definitely yeah. gonna hurt your economy if you don't have that, and you're used to trading with this, you know, yep. country. We're here to learn, folks. But so Japan's defense military ministry also released photos of Russian ships carrying military trucks. So not only do they like tie their trade bestie status, but yeah, they're like we're gonna be a little bit of a paparazzi and show like, everybody what? what Russia's doing. Yeah, they're like, we'll take away the most favorite nation status, but like, you're literally moving in like military trucks right off the coastline. So like, you know, make it make sense. Like, we get it. We took away that like we took away that status, but like, why are y'all sailing with military trucks right next to the coastline? Like, you know, Russia's like, it was a military expedition. It was a training exercise. Like, what are you talking about? You're kind of being a little paranoid. Like, I don't know why you would think it's anything other. If you ever just hear training exercise, just know that's like diplomat speak for like, it wasn't a training exercise. (laughs) Yeah. 
because they can't admit they're spying, but Japan we all saw also- that in Iron Man when one of the jets blew up. It was because Iron Man ran into the jet, you know, yeah. and they call that a training exercise. So if you've seen Iron Man, you know it, you know what training exercise is. <laughs> code, code for spying. Um, <laughs> well, Japan also, on top of all that, pledged $100 million in aid for Ukraine and is accepting refugees. And China's foreign ministry essentially stated that Japan should not escalate tensions any further, which like, all right, China, like we get it. We get your like allyship with Russia, which if you haven't listened to the episode, listen. Mm-hmm. And as reported by the Post, Japan is concerned that Russia's invasion of Ukraine could embolden China to become more assertive regarding their dispute with Taiwan, which I don't think we actually touched on that when we discussed China and Russia Railways. I think I think we didn't talk about it in the railways. We talked about it a bit in the Ukraine episode, our most recent one with Dr. Kubitschek. We talked about it a little bit there, but not, oh, not extensively. Right. That's interesting, though. I'm I'm interested because either like kind of China's China seems to be kind of backing away, but I could imagine them also being like, hmm, Russia worked this worked with Ukraine. Well, it works yeah. yeah, I mean, that's kind of like how like the global, like, you know, audience is looking at it, like global diplomats of like, hey, like, you know, if this goes really well for Russia, then, you know, China might start getting some thoughts in their head of like, hey, but now is the time to go for you, Taiwan. So your classic big, will they or won't they? Yeah, it's a big thing. Like we always say, we'll have to wait and see. But <laughs> but I think that's it for Russia breaking off the treaty talks with Japan. I, you know, mm-hmm. it's economically devastating to Russia, but then again, <laughs> the most intense sanctions ever have been placed on Russia. So not surprising. And it's again, not surprising that they would cut off the treaty talks with everything Japan has done to them. Mm-hmm. So with that, I think that that is, I think that's our episode. I think that's all that we have for Japan this week. Thanks so much for talking about this with me, Hunter. I enjoyed, my favorite part was talking about Avatar Last Airbender. I try to bring it in every conversation I possibly can. Like Whenever you can include you Avatar know. The Last Airbender, it <laughs> always makes the conversation at least 10 times better. And then you find out, hey, did you like, how was your childhood? How was it? We're going to ask, <laughs> like, do you know about the show? Did you start, you know, really judging political figures at the age of like eight? Because I did, because I started watching Avatar The Last Airbender at eight years old. So. It's always fun and interesting to see. Like, was Zuko's redemption arc the best thing you've ever seen in your entire life? If not, yeah. you need to reevaluate. <laughs> yes, please reevaluate. Please, you know, we can still classify you as a hot girl, but like, please just watch the series again and then just reevaluate after those three seasons. Yeah, so all of our listeners, tell us if you've watched Avatar The Last Airbender or not. Tell us how Japanese culture has impacted your country if you're from an international country, or I guess if you're from the United States, I'd be interested to see maybe it's different in different states, you know? And if you have seen the cherry blossoms or plan to tell us, we want to know everything about you guys. We love our listeners. Yes. So if you are coming through and you are finding this on our Facebook, if you're going to our website, definitely check out our Instagram too. Let us know on there. We will be posting on there, you know, we love our Instagram. We love our marketing official, Amanda Rogers. Shout out to you, girl. Shout out to Amanda. Honestly, you've been coming up with some absolutely bomb graphics for us. So if y'all want to go and shout her out on our Instagram as well, we will be tagging her in our next post. So absolutely go show her some love. But for that, I think that we are, I think that really wraps up our episode. Yeah. We'll... 
we will see you guys on the next episode of Hot Girl Briefing. Mm -hmm. Bye. We will see y'all on Monday. Bye.